Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, your podcast all about Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and as always, I am joined by the man that when I wake up, well I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the podcaster that podcasts with you. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Um, I'm well and quite touched by your, what's the word I'm looking for, adapted Proclaimer lyric there. Proclaimer's lyric. Very well, nice. I would walk 500 miles to podcast with you, Greg. <laughs> and I'd walk 500 more. <laughs> the feeling is more than mutual. How are you today? What have you been up to? Anything exciting happening in your world? Um, well, I was on holiday last week because uh, the kids were on holiday. I suppose the most, the most exciting thing I've done is play my way through Spider-Man Miles Morales game on the PlayStation 4. Oh, oh, you did not tell me that you had got that. How did you miss that information? I'm not sure. During the week, why have you not told me that? Is it good? It's, it is good. I enjoy playing it. It's not as long as the first Spider-Man game. If you've seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is about Miles Morales, or if you ever read any of the Miles Morales comics, you'll know that he has a couple of additional spider abilities, one of which is the ability to turn himself invisible, because apparently, in a shoehorned bit of plot twist science, so there are some spiders that have natural camouflage abilities, and he's also got this venom a punch, like electric punch thing, which uh, apparently some spider, because obviously some spiders are venomous. So they kind of fold that into the, the action a wee bit. It's a good fun game. It feels a bit more like a, an expansion than its own thing. There's a, there's a, a couple of nice touches, because in the storyline, obviously Miles is new as Spider-Man, so when, when you're swinging about, you're not quite as graceful as Peter Parker is in the original game, you know. But the, the nice touch is, as you play through the game more, Miles's sort of web-slinging form gets a bit better. I thought that was quite a nice little subtle touch, you know. Like at the beginning, he's kind of awkward and flapping about everywhere as he's going from web to web. But as you play through, he gets more adept and stuff, so. Oh, wow, oh, that sounds great. I'll have to look out for that, actually. I, I did mean to get that. And to be fair, I... That was the only reason I kind of wanted to get a PlayStation 5. I, I presume you're still playing on the PlayStation yeah, 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I've, that was the only game that I'm like, oh, should I get a PlayStation 5? Should I just get it for the 4? But then today, I have been uh, a 40-year-old loser. I have been watching WrestleMania. And it was mediocre. Probably the highlight was that in one of the advert breaks, there was an advert for the WWE 2K22 game coming out. And of course, as it always is in these games, it looks like it's amazing because it's like, it's not. And it does come up with a big disclaimer. Like (laughs) in-game footage is still being tested. This does not represent the in-game footage. And you're like, that looks looks incredible. I need to get that. I always get the WWE games. They're always disappointing. (laughs) Why am I going to bother with this one? I don't know. I will. Never mind. But that was the first time I kind of thought about getting a PS5. And if I did, I would get the Spider-Man Miles Morales game because I loved the original Spider-Man game. So shall we have a look at some Scottish news? Let's have a look at some news. Cue the jingle. Hello, 
this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, so what have you seen this week in Scotland that has caught your eye? Anything exciting? Uh, well, I do have a quite a timely topical small piece of news to start off with. Obviously, this weekend we found out that the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, has passed away at the ripe old age of 99. I'm not sure how you feel about the royal family. I'm fairly ambiguous. They don't offend me, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I was a supporter as such. But, you know, 99 is a, is a very good innings. Before I go through my Duke of Edinburgh related story. Did you ever do the Duke of Edinburgh award at school? No, I didn't. No, Uh, I didn't. I I don't know why. Just never interested me. Um, So no, never did Duke of Edinburgh. I know it is quite a rite of passage for a lot of Scottish youths and youngsters, but no, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh wasn't anything that tickled my fancy, so to speak. No, Uh, uh, if you pardon that pun. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the kids that did the Duke of Edinburgh awards at my school were all cunts anyway, so that was a that was a deterrent for not doing it. Um, I'm sure that doesn't apply to everybody that did the Duke of Edinburgh, but at the school I was at at the time, which was a school in England, 99 percent of the kids that enrolled were total wankers, so that was a reason for not doing it. But this story about Prince Philip, it's only a short one, but it, uh, it comes from the Scotsman on Friday. Um, and it is a celebrated Scottish writer, Irvin Welsh, one of our favourites, recounting the first and only time that he met the Duke of Edinburgh. So basically, Irvin was handing out uh, Duke of Edinburgh awards at a school uh, in Edinburgh, funnily enough. The late Prince Philip was in attendance, congratulating the kids on achieving their award. So Irvin, uh, he tweeted, so... The Scotsman have taken one of Irvin's tweets and um, turned it into a story. But uh, Irvin said, I only met him once when I presented a Duke of Edinburgh award. He came up to me and he said, train spotting, jolly good. <laughs> so obviously, I'm sure Prince Philip never sat down to read train spotting. I, I, I can't imagine him getting past the sweat was laughing, was lashing off a sick boy <laughs> before closing the book again. Perhaps picking up a copy of uh, the Shooting Times or something, um, but he'd obviously been briefed on <laughs> the Shooting Times. It's <laughs> yes. quite uh, yeah. <laughs> um, he'd obviously been briefed on who Irvin Welsh was. So he came up to Irvin, he came up to me and he said, "Train spotting, jolly good." But then Irvin, he doesn't like explain why he did this. He says, "I responded with perhaps a too drawn out." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before he moved on, <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe he didn't say mm-hmm like that. Maybe he just said mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Irvin does say that he was very impressed by the way that the Duke managed not to look completely bored shitless by the pageantry <laughs> at the Duke of Edinburgh awards ceremony. But yeah, it just made me laugh. Mm-hmm. So that's my first little story about uh, Irvin meeting the late Prince Philip. God rest them. I'd love to know what the the Duke of Edinburgh's favourite Irvin Welsh <laughs> book would have been. Actually, it's gonna be. probably filth. Yeah, or a, a, maybe a, a decent ride. <laughs> he does strike me as like a Juice Terry when he was younger. Yeah. yeah, if the Duke of Edinburgh had been a taxi driver, then yeah, <laughs> I could see him being like Juice Terry. He doesn't have the corkscrew perm though. No, but well, he might have done when he was younger. I've not seen any. Surprisingly, considering the media onslaught since uh, the news of his passing was announced on Friday. Not seen any photographs of uh, of the young Prince Philip of Greece. 
and Denmark. So you think he might have had a, a cracking barnet when he was younger? Speaking of cracking barnets, who who would you say is the best haircut or the best barnet in Scotland? When you think of Scottish haircuts, what are you thinking of? <laughs> I don't know, mate. I mean, you, you've got a pretty good haircut. You always have had a, a healthy head of hair. Um, Thank you very much. My own uh, never started well <laughs> when I was a kid, to be honest, and it's just got progressively worse as I've uh, closed in on middle-aged. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I guess you got to think of football players. Ali McCoy used to have quite a good haircut when he was a young player. Oh, come on. I'm talking like iconic in terms of like Russ Abbott's kind of see you Jimmy mullet or in terms of uh, Frank McAvenny's mullet. Right. Or Jimmy Cranky's little ginger wig. <laughs> you know, kind of iconic, iconic Scottish haircuts. Scottish haircuts. I don't know. I mean, I probably Frank McAvenny, probably, now that you've brought it up, with his mid-80s Man United haircut. Okay, I'm going to put you out of your misery. The most iconic Scottish haircut is, of course, Rod Stewart's rooster cut. Right, okay. If you can call him Scottish, because, of course, famously, London-born and yeah. bred. But his dad, his hey, dad's, his we'll, dad's from Glasgow. We'll take him. His, his, his dad's from Glasgow. So for a long time, he was the only pop star we had. <laughs> In terms of Rod Stewart's hairdo and his famous rooster cut, do you know how he achieved that? I don't. I feel like I should because I read Ronnie Wood's autobiography a couple of years ago because obviously he was in the he was in the faces with Rod Stewart, wasn't he? The, well, there's been a story doing the rounds this week, and it is about how he managed to achieve his haircut. I'm quite disappointed with the newspapers because they explain how he does it. They haven't picked up on the obvious pun. Rod, who is now 76, well done, Rod. Good on you. He used to rub mayonnaise in his hair and then friendly kind of rub it with a towel and that's how he got his rooster cut. Right. What is the obvious pun the newspapers have all missed out on? Like the headline reads, Rod Stewart created his iconic barnet by applying mayonnaise before giving it a rub with a towel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I can't think what the obvious pun is. Maggie mayonnaise. Oh. <laughs> so he used to go like months without a haircut and have his long locks and then he would wash it and he would put mayonnaise in his hair rub it with a towel and spike it up like a rooster. And that is exactly how you get hair like Rod Stewart. And who who's the source of this story? Steve Marriott? You see? Uh, yeah, the source is... Because... Uh, yeah. No, sorry. Uh, it was tour, uh, tour manager Elliot Saltzman. Right, okay. Uh, who was a, a, the Small Faces tour manager. And he said that Rod copied it from Steve Marriott. Right. And that's how he managed to get his spiky hair. Uh, and people have said that mayonnaise is obviously full of protein. Right. So that's maybe why Rod has still got all of his locks right now. Nothing to do with a hair transplant or anything, Rod, eh? Well, you know. So. I kind of wish I'd known that when I was younger. I may not be in the fucking situation I'm in now. <laughs> well, there you go. Just nip in the fridge uh, once we've finished recording this. Get a bottle of Hellman's and... There you go. Slap it on. I mean, his, his head must have been absolutely stinking. Imagine, like, he's put mayonnaise in his, on his head. He's gone on stage, singing and dancing, under those hot lights. Must have been howling when he came off stage. Yeah, you would think so. It's not the, the nicest of smells, like stale mayonnaise, especially mixed with sweat. That's horrible. <laughs> I imagine that there's, that there's lots of products on the market now that you can achieve the same effect with. <laughs> Maybe not in the late 60s. Uh, well... 
who knows? I'm going to go and try it this weekend. I'm going to go and get my uh, bottle of Hellman's and, and give it a try and see if I can get a restart on the go. Okay. Um, well, g- good old Rod the Mod. Still trend setting after all this time. Right, well, my next story from the Daily Record. The headline reads that shocked Scots couple find sex toy in filthy resort room on 60th birthday getaway. This is Michael and Avril Grieve. They've uh, apparently they're regulars at the Piper Dam Leisure Resort in Tayside. You may you may or may not be familiar with the Piper Dam. It's about like the Creef Hydro, I think. Michael's a regular customer at Piper Dam. They go often. They paid three hundred and eighty pounds for four nights to celebrate her sixtieth birthday, but they checked out early because of the filthy conditions. Michael said regarding the dildo or sex toy, rather, but it's definitely a dildo, uh, that they found in the room. This is the worst-case scenario anybody could expect, especially right now, during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, so there's the picture that the record has published of the offending sex toy. It's a bit grainy. It's not clear what it's sitting on. It's definitely a dildo. There's no question about that. It's black. I think we've probably seen more exotic ones um, in our youth in like shop windows on holiday. Um, Speak for yourself, Greg. (laughs) You you probably see more exotic ones just going for your messages in Amsterdam in the shop windows. Michael says something quite funny. He says the sex toy was clearly visible. So I guess he means it was just lying out. It wasn't, he didn't find it like under the bed or under a pillow or something like that. Sitting on the the TV (laughs) unit next to the the VHS recorder or something. Lying in the sink. It says, I can't imagine anybody accepting it. This is despite their extended COVID-19 cleaning regime. (laughs) Can't imagine anybody. (laughs) Can't imagine. On TripAdvisor, four out of five stars. Everything was great, but the dildo left by the previous room occupant was a bit of a disappointment, if I'm being honest. But we didn't let it ruin our holiday. <laughs> I'm sorry, are we just going to gloss over? What's his name? Michael. Michael. Michael Grieve. Did we gloss over the fact that he's saying, Michael, saying I can't believe anybody accepting it? <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody accept That's what I'm talking about. So I say, you write your TripAdvisor review. Everything was great. Apart from one thing, oh, it took the shine off it a wee bit. <laughs> this is despite their extended COVID-19 cleaning regime. On the website, they have pictures of cleaners in full body protective suits. <laughs> it's a mashing, like the housekeeping team in there. They're breaking bad protective suits. No way I'm touching that, by the way. There is no way I'm touching that. <laughs> These suits don't include a strap-on by any <laughs> chance, does it? They might have accidentally fallen off. I don't know how practical a strap-on on a protective suit would be for housekeeping in hotel rooms to be honest but I can just imagine somebody just like a, some some cleaner from Dundee saying there's no way I'm touching that I don't give a fuck how many pairs of gloves I've got Michael laments uh, we wanted to get a break from work and from everything going on but we ended up desperate to get home Mr Greaves said the firm did apologise and they sent staff to carry out a two hour deep clean on the room However, a foul smell coming from the drains put yet another dampener on the holiday. They cut short the trip after two nights. Uh, I mean, God knows what was going on in that room before they checked in. You know what I mean? There could be somebody being sort of chopped up and washed in a plug or something. You, know? <laughs> you think it was kind of a Dexter scenario <laughs> in that room before they walked yeah, in? Yeah, maybe. Mr Greaves said they received a refund for the first night. But so far, they've had no response. 
after emailing a manager to explain why they left early. He said they haven't even been in touch to apologise. It just seems that they have a couldn't care less attitude. As long as they get your money, they don't care. But Angus Council has said, <laughs> when approached for a comment, that an environmental health team has received a complaint regarding the hotel and is making inquiries. And there's a picture of like what looks like a table, like a sort of panel desk or something, and there's a wee bit of kind of mould, well, quite a big bit of mould actually in the corner of it, like something's been spilled and never cleaned up. So yeah, 60th birthday ruined by a discarded sex toy. And what's the most, what's the weirdest thing you've ever found in a hotel room? Um, I don't know. I don't think I've found anything that disturbing when I've checked into a hotel. What about yourself? I don't, I don't think I've found anything either. How do you think you would react to finding a sex toy left on the bedside table or whatever they found it? I'd probably give it a wipe and put it on eBay. <laughs> give it a wipe and send it to our, our friend. I, I don't know. I think I would call down reception, probably, and say, um, excuse me, there, there's been an incident in here and I've found an unwelcome visitor in my room. But I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how I'd react. I mean, I'm not going to pick it up and use no, it. But I'm not going to touch I, it for sure. Similarly, I'm not going to let it lie. I don't know. I don't know how I'd react if I found a, a massive dildo in my hotel room. It depends when it was. If it was in the bed, then obviously I'd be quite concerned the sheets hadn't been changed. Yeah. If it was in the bath, then maybe I'd presume it was just a, a bath toy. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe phoned, Not sure. Phone down reception. Is this supposed to be here? <laughs> Some hotels give you a complimentary bottle of wine. Have you given me a complimentary double black mamba? <laughs> Yeah, we really appreciate your patronage. I mean, I think I would be quite pragmatic about it. I would like to think that I'd be like, look, something, there's been a bit of an oversight here, <laughs> clearly. This does, <laughs> we didn't bring this with us. If you give the room a clean or move us to another room and give us dinner, we'll say no more about it. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd write into the day the record about it. What's your, what's your next story? I've got a story about an Edinburgh mum who was left disturbed when she heard noises coming from her daughter's room during the night. Now, this is not a ghost story, just before you, I get that clear. So, 29-year-old Dawn Lothian heard loud moans coming from her child's bedroom after putting her to bed for the night. She was sat in the living room and she heard loud noises. She muted the TV and went through to where her daughter was sleeping. And right enough, the noises were coming from the room. And she couldn't believe it. She was left disturbed because her neighbour was watching porn <laughs> and had somehow <laughs> somehow connected to her daughter's Bluetooth nightlight. So her daughter has a, a starlight projector, which you can connect via Bluetooth to music. Right. So it, it plays like a little starlight thing on the bedroom and it connects to music and plays probably Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, not Two Girls One Cup. So she shouted through to her partner because she was in shock and luckily her baby is far too young to understand what was going on. So thank God the child was spared the sacrifice of listening to moaning and groaning. <laughs> the morning after the ordeal, she had to leave a note in the stairwell. So obviously they live in a flat and she put a, a, a note on the stairwell and the note reads... Whoever was watching porn last night at 11.30pm <laughs> has connected their device to our baby's nightlight. Can you please disconnect ASAP? Thanks. Dawn said, I still haven't tracked down who was watching the porn. 
But I think they got the point and disconnected. Have you ever disconnected your Bluetooth or connected your Bluetooth speaker to anything you shouldn't have? Uh, no, I certainly haven't. I mean, I've not seen a lot of pornography in my life, but my old roommate—I've seen some. <laughs> I am a man after all. My my old roommate in Aberdeen had uh, a copy of porn. So I get—I guess like the porn kind of classic, Deep Throat, which oh actually has quite a good. It's got quite a good soundtrack. There are songs on Deep Throat that you would recognise. One of the songs on Deep Throat is the Coca-Cola song, I Want to Teach the World to Sing. Is that how it goes? Yeah, I could uh, I could describe in detail the scene that I want to teach the world. Is it, I, want, is it, I want to teach the world to sing is the song, isn't it? But it's a bit too blue. I'll just suffice to say that it involves the Linda Lovelace, the star of the movie, an elderly man a can of Coke and a sort of, like, sort of drip, if you like, that you would get put on if you were dehydrated in the hospital. As far as, like, my ever doing anything like that, I can hand and heart say I haven't. I mean, I Kevin Bridges has got a good routine about um, getting the TV on upstairs for the 10-minute free view on the adult channel back in the 90s. I mean, I don't know if, like, if you had Sky... I remember, I don't know how it worked, but I know that you could watch whatever was being watched in the living room on Sky. You couldn't change the channel, but I don't know how it yeah. know how it all connected, but he's got a good... No, I never had Sky, but I'm aware of that was the yeah. Kind of, yeah, the situation, what you did. So he's got a good story about, um, about a sort of unwritten contract between him and his dad <laughs> that they would watch. <laughs> they would watch the ten minute preview separately, you know, <laughs> of the of the adult channel. I mean, that is like you know, I'm sure for the Edinburgh mother, right, she's rightly outraged <laughs> by that. But hopefully, she'll be able to look back on it one day. No harm done, right? It's only like a bit of noise. Well, as she said, her child is too young to understand so it's not like it's going to be anything offensive or any bad words it was just a little bit of moaning and groaning you know what's wrong with that <laughs> it's got the me- that's got the makings of a a sort of sketch in a comedy show <laughs> you know what I mean it does yeah <laughs> you can just imagine uh, setting the Bluetooth night light. Yeah, it's definitely a, a Canon Dunbar <laughs> setting the night light. There you go, my wee petal, you're off to bed. And then going to bed, and there's Greg Hempel watching hardcore <laughs> porn. Whilst <laughs> it comes through the baby's night light. Canon, like huddled under a duvet, thinking our house is, ha- thinking our house is haunted. <laughs> tortured soul is haunting her daughter's bedroom oh that's got to be one of the best uh, ones we've had for quite a long time that's really funny oh, <laughs> i'm glad you enjoyed it, it have, you, have you got anything else this week i've just got one i've got one last one i'm not going to read the whole article because it's quite a long one but uh i feel like i'd kind of heard this before now you and i were catching up last night with our other friend and i mentioned how i accidentally bought some quite strong lager so I just I went for the I went for one of the sort of reasonably priced ones in the booze shop. It was Tuborg, which I tried before and I liked it. And when I got it home, I realised it was the red tin Tuborg from <laughs> Denmark, which is eight percent, which is quite strong. And um, it got us talking about uh, our Scotland's very own super strong lager, uh, Tenants Super Lager, and a pa- oh, the purple tin beauty. Apparently. 
it's really popular in Italy, the old purple uh, tint. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. There's a whole article about it. So I was dismayed to note that um, Tenant Super is only 1% stronger than the 24 cans of fucking rocket fuel that I've got in my fridge at the moment. <laughs> I was somewhat uh, concerned about having to drink. I might have to be saving them for when, uh, for when people come. But on dozens of street corners across Rome, Milan, Sicily and Sardinia... You might spot a local tanning a bottle of Tenant Super at the local neighbourhood bar. There's someone's tweeted a picture, a guy called Adam Ramsey's tweeted a picture of himself on holiday. He says he always loves how Tenant Super is considered a sophisticated beer in Italy. And there's a busker with a Tenant Super hoodie on <laughs> in the article. So they're all free from the shackles of the perceived social prejudice that comes with the sight of somebody in Scotland clutching a can of purple tin, normally in a car park or swing park or on, the, on a bus in Glasgow, <laughs> something like that, um, raging through Buchanan Street on a busy Saturday afternoon. In Glasgow, uh, the strength of tin super, which I mentioned before is 9%, tends to see it associated with more discernible types, the guys that sort of spend their days drinking al fresco as opposed to at a bar. There's also a picture of tenant of a tenant super draft tap in Italy. The one half litre can of the drink, dubbed vitamin T, contains four and a half units of alcohol, which is more than the recommended daily maximum for either a man or a woman. <laughs> And while it's sold in cans in Scotland, in Italy it's sold in standard 330ml bottles to the general public or on draft in some places like Milan, Florence and Rome. You can see it apparently in every show. I've never been to Italy. I don't know if you've been. I've never been. I'd love to go. I've been a few times and yes, I have seen this. I've been to Milan, um, I've been to Rome and Florence and yes, I have seen tenant super for sale and it confused the hell out of me <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's a it's it's a cultural it's like uh kind of stella well uh it's like leffy blonde yeah. kind of in terms of yeah in italy it's, it's a cultural phenomenon it's enduring it's enduring uh popularity it, say, it says here you will see it in every shop supermarket cappuccino bar cafe and even ice cream vans with tenant super achieving something of a hip and exotic status among italian youths in much the same way as beers like moretti and peroni are popular among drinkers in glasgow so why has the super strength lager become a fashionable favorite for the notorious the notoriously chic italians one that saw sales of the lager rocket over 50% in 2015 to 3.5 million liters per year well Andrea Ragusa from the Milan-Glasgow-based guitar pedal enterprise AC Noises has got a theory. She says that before starting to drink as an adult, Tenant's Super was the kind of beer that had sort of an underground charm. I mean, drinking a Scottish beer was cooler, while the Italian ones were for posh people. Andrea goes on to say that because Italy is quite a family-orientated country, it's traditional just to spend a short time in the pub before you head home for a family dinner. So it suits Italians to swallow a strong lacquer if they're spending less time in the pub than Glaswegians and Scots normally do. <laughs> Bit of stereotyping there, Andrea. I don't know that I like it. 
And while Italians who come to Glasgow might be surprised that they don't see people in the city's bars and restaurants clutching a tenant's super, there's at least one Italian who's happy not to. So this is Perugia, Perugia-born sound engineer Luigi Pasquini, who runs the Anchor Line Studio in Glasgow. <laughs> That's his name, Luigi Pasquini. He said that, you know, I drank my fair share of uh, tenant super when I was growing up in Italy. And uh, I don't really, as a result, I don't really remember an awful lot about my teenage years. <laughs> Fucking not surprised, Luigi. <laughs> um, he, Luigi's opinion is that it's very popular. He says, I think it's very popular in Italy because it allows us to forget about the mafia and pineapple on pizza. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, I mean, I feel like I did hear that somewhere before, but it's interesting to... I mean, I've never... I, don't know, I think I have tried Tenant Super. I probably did when I was younger, just to try and show off a bit. I don't think it's very. I don't yeah. think it's very nice. No, I don't think so. It's strange. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm kind of used to now living in the Netherlands. A lot of the beers I drink are like quite high strength. Yeah, but they are quite nice mm-hmm. and refined. I haven't drank a purple tin for quite some time, but I always do remember when I was about sixteen, being at like a, a house party, and one of the guys turning up with a a six pack of special brew. And fair play, he was fucking cunted <laughs> by the end of the night. <laughs> I'm sure he was. I, mean, I remember when I joined, um, like when I first I started working in a restaurant, and I happened to join around about the time that they were celebrating their first anniversary. We opened for a year, and we had a party overnight once the restaurant had closed. And somebody had gone to Macro, and they'd obviously just gone and bought like a couple, of, a few cases of whatever was cheap. And recognisable, and um, he brought he bought like a load of um, Carlsberg elephant beer. I don't think they make it anymore. Oh God, yeah. Oh God. I mean, it was just yeah. Oh, car- I've had that. Yeah. Carnage, <laughs> carnage, absolute carnage. I'm 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 sort of tempted to do a bit of a taste test on this Tuborg. Will we open a tin and see what it tastes like? I've not tried it. I'll give us a live taste right. test. Hang then. on, there. I won't get it. Right, I have returned. I'm gonna I'm gonna pour it into a glass because I don't usually I don't usually have a drink on a school night. I definitely don't usually drink eight percent fucking two borg on a school night either. But we'll crack it open, and uh, I'm I'm just gonna pour. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna pour a half half a glass of it because. Uh, Why don't I give you my kind of last news story, okay. and then you can tell us your review. It'll give you a, a chance to ruminate okay. in your in your mouth, yeah? <laughs> okay. So, kind of fitting with what we're about to speak about next, after Greg's Tuborg review, is the fact that the Proclaimers have gone viral this week. Did you see this, Greg? No, I didn't see that, no. No, they've gone viral. Um, after the face of a convicted paedophile appeared on their double base. <laughs> so... Um, Charlie and Craig, the Proclaimers, whose hit song, Sunshine on Leith, uh, recently appeared on uh, Comic Relief for Red Nose Day. Uh, they were featured on Top of the Pops. Do you know, are you aware that the BBC Four play, like, the old yes. Top of the Pops episode? I am, yeah. So it was an episode from 1989. The Proclaimers were on singing King of the Road, their 1990 hit. And on... I think Charlie or Craig's double bass, they had a sticker of Jonathan King because it was meant to be a pun, King of the Road. Right. And obviously this is well before we knew 
what Jonathan King was up to. Uh, they went viral. A lot of people commented that this was a little bit inappropriate and that Jonathan King was featured on Top of the Pops. <laughs> people have said it was a bit awkward, didn't age well. Yeah. And the BBC did actually apologise and say, sorry that that went out. Uh, we didn't realise we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. But yeah, I just thought that was a nice little fitting yeah. segue into what we're going to be talking about. But hey, how's that two Borg? Right, uh, so the two Borg, well, I mean, it's, it smells heavy. Oh, it's quite sweet. <laughs> it, smell, it, smell, it smells sweet. I'm going to, I'm taking a sip now. I've only poured myself half a glass. I'm not drinking all that can. I'll be fucking upside down. I'll be honest, that looks like a fucking glass of piss. Fucking hell. Let me try it again. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, that was a bad miss but I can't believe that but because I've tried two Borg before like the normal two Borg and I was I quite liked it that's fucking boofing oh I don't think we're giving that to the Irish boys next door I think I'm too old <laughs> to be drinking that sort of thing well I think that concludes the news for this week then after your two Borg taste um okay let's delve into your review and it was your choice this week Greg so why don't you tell us what we're going to be looking at this week. All right, well, I chose something that I've never seen before. It's not the sort of film that I would usually go for, if I'm honest. It's uh, the 2013 British romantic musical film uh, directed by none other than Dexter Fletcher, Press Gang's Dexter Fletcher, <laughs> featuring the songs of the Proclaimers, Sunshine on Leith. Yeah, it came out in 2013. It stars Swally favourite Peter Mullen, Jane Horrocks, George Mackay, uh, Antonia Thomas, Freya Maver and uh, Kevin Guthrie. Uh, it's about Ali and Davy, two soldiers coming back at the end of their service in the British Army to Edinburgh uh, and adjusting back to civilian life. Finding love, losing love, finding love again. Um, it's also about uh, Davy's mum and dad, played by Peter Mullen and Jane Horrocks, and they're going through their own, what's what I'm looking for, their own marriage difficulty. And they manage to shoehorn in about 14 Proclaimer songs <laughs> into the storyline. Exactly 14. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said before, I'd never seen it. If I'm honest, I'm not a big fan of musicals anyway. I just find the whole concept of storytelling and then somebody just bursting into song a little difficult to live with. I know that for some people, musicals are you know are very important to them. I'm not saying anything against musicals. Personally speaking, it's not my mug of pish. Um, but jukebox musicals is what how you would describe Sunshine on Leith, where some kind of loose narrative is kind of moulded round uh, the songs of an artist. Like I think probably the most famous one is probably Mamma Mia featuring the songs of ABBA, which I've successfully avoided seeing even a second of uh, since it came out, I think, in 2008 or 2009. But I have to say, despite myself and my prejudices, <laughs> I quite enjoyed Sunshine on Leith. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed elements of it. So you you had seen this before, you think, right? Or you had started watching it before, and now you've watched it twice <laughs> for the podcasts. How did you enjoy it, Nikki? Well, as you know, I love films. I love all types of films. But there's two genres of films that I just, I can't really seem to get on board with. 
and they are musicals and romantic comedies. So you can imagine my trepidation going into watching this film. And then I thought about it and thought, well, one of my favourite films is a musical, but it's not really. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. One of my favourite films, but it's not really a musical. No, it's not. It's, def- it's definitely not a musical. And then I thought, ah, actually, I do like a musical. I, I like Pitch Perfect. And part of that is because Anna Kendrick's in it, right. and I will watch her in anything. But I do genuinely enjoy that film, and it is a musical as such. So anyway, my history with Sunshine on Leith. I remember this film when it first came out, and I think uh, I listened to Mark Kermode's film podcast at the time, and I remember him gushing about this film and how great it was and how much he loved it. So I, I downloaded it to watch, and it wasn't until re-watching it that I remembered where I had switched it off the first time. I, I sat down to watch it and I thought, this is good, this is exciting, I'm going to watch Sunshine on Leith, a Scottish film. So it started and, and it's very good, it's, it's kind of almost Iron Man-esque, you know, the guys in the armoured vehicle and there's an explosion and oh wow, what's going to happen? And then it cuts to Davy and Ali walking down the street in Edinburgh. I think, okay, all right, this is good. And then they burst into song and I thought, yeah, I can't be fucked with this, and switched it off. And I haven't watched it since, until I decided to watch it for the podcast. And it had always been in the back of my mind that I really need to watch this film. It's Scottish. It's the music of the Proclaimers. I'm bound to enjoy it. I just obviously wasn't in the right frame of mind that day. And it wasn't until, obviously, you chose it for the podcast. So I I thought, right, let's do this. So I sat down with my wife, and I showed her the trailer, thinking, okay, this is probably the type of film she's going to enjoy. We can watch it together. It's going to be great. You know, make the experience better. So I showed her the trailer and her exact words were, that looks like a musical. I'm not watching that pish. So immediately then I'm thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to watch this by myself. And this is probably going to be the first film that we're going to review on the Swally that I'm not going to enjoy and I'm not going to have anything good to say about. This This isn't going to be good. So last Saturday night, my wife went to bed and I sat down and watched Sunshine on Leith by myself. Now, it could have been me. It could have been the red wine talking. But I really enjoyed this film when I watched it for the first time. And hey, uh, let's be honest, there are a few quite a few moments in it that are quite cringe-worthy and cringe-inducing and had me a little bit like, oh, really? But overall, I really enjoyed it. And it's not a romantic comedy. It's quite far away from a romantic comedy, really. Yeah, it sounds to me like the key to enjoying Sunshine on Leith is to drink a load of red wine before you watch it, Nicky. <laughs> I think it does help. I have to say, I think it does help. I mean, you know, f- for me, I think the reason that I found myself enjoying it was because the cast are clearly having a good time you know what I mean That's you know they they the songs are all very very well known uh, songs for the most part you know I think I my kind of feeling was that they're all having a good time you know and that and and Edinburgh it's like you know it's all shot in location in Edinburgh Although there's some scenes that are supposed to be in the Natural Portrait Gallery, but it looks a lot like the Kelvin Grove Art Museum in Glasgow to me, those scenes. But most of the film, at least, is shot in Edinburgh. And 
Dexter Fletcher makes Edinburgh look fucking... I mean, and Edinburgh is a very pretty city anyway. It looks great, it's, especially in the summertime and things when the sky's clear and everything like that. It's, it's a great city. But I think Dexter Fletcher really showcases Edinburgh, I think. So, yeah, I found myself enjoying it. I found myself watching Peter Mullen and thinking, please don't give Peter a song to sing. Please don't. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can take it. And then the scene, we're kind of jumping ahead a bit, but there's a scene where it's uh, Peter, uh, who plays Rab, uh, Davy's dad, and Jane Horrocks, who plays Jean, Davy's mum. Uh, it's their wedding anniversary. Uh, and I think it's in the assembly rooms in Edinburgh or something. He has to give a speech about how much he loves his wife, Jean, and he goes into a song. Let me just... I've got the song written down here. What song was it again? Uh, oh, Jean. Oh, Jean, yeah. It should, should have been quite easy to remember. And, uh, <laughs> and now, that, I could be being a bit cynical here, but when the rest of the cast join in with Peter Mullen's rendition of Oh, Jean, I think just for a second, you see a flash of relief going across... Peter's face because Peter Mullen is perhaps one of the finest actors to ever come out of Scotland but he's not a good singer <laughs> okay well there's a lot to go back on what you've just said there uh, okay first of all yes I would agree Dexter Fletcher makes the city of Edinburgh look incredible it looks so beautiful don't get me wrong I think Edinburgh is a beautiful city well my wife I took her to Scotland for the first time and, and she'd never been to Scotland yeah, the first place I took her was Edinburgh because this is very much a look. This is Scotland. This is what a beautiful city looks like. Before I took her up the road to Aberdeen and showed her where I'm actually from. Don't get me wrong, Aberdeen is a beautiful city as well. On the yeah. days that the sun is shining, they are few and far between. But Edinburgh is a a very very pretty city. So well done on making Edinburgh look beautiful. With with regards Sorry. to what you touched upon there and Peter Mullen, yes, he can't sing. And he shouldn't sing. But I would have to say, Peter Mullen, he has to be the greatest Scottish actor of all time. I, I can't think of anyone else. He is the reason I was so invested in this film. When I watched this, I genuinely did not care less about the youngsters and, and what happened to them and, and their relationships. I was more invested in Peter Mullen and yep. Jane Horrocks' character, uh, Rab and Jean. They were the ones that I was watching the film for. But for me, Peter Mullen just absolutely carried this film. And I just think he's probably the greatest Scottish actor of all time. And I, I don't know, I'll argue the case if you disagree <laughs> with me on that. No, I, I don't think I disagree. I, I, you know, I think in terms of his versatility, you know, they, you put this performance, and in this performance he's, you know, I mean, he, he's the kind of patriarch of the main family, He's flawed, you know, and one of his flaws is like a major plot point uh, in the movie. But, you know, you take this performance and then you watch him in something like uh, Tyrannosaur. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or uh, My Name is Joe or Ozark. You know, I mean, like, because I've been watching Peter Mullen for years before he started to do things in the US, like, what was it, uh, Top of the Lake, I think, the one he did with... Um, Mm. Uh, the the girl out of the Handmaid's Tale, and um, and Mad Men, yeah. and uh, and and Ozark and stuff, and you know you you associate him so much with Scotland and playing Scottish characters, and yet 
you know, if you'd never seen him in anything before and you watch him in Ozark, you you could think he's like a Southern American guy. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Kind of redneck type character. And then you watch yeah. anyway, you watch him in um I mean you watch him in Tyrannosaur. I've not I've seen a lot of Peter Mullins' performances. I'm pretty sure I've not seen every single performance that he's done, but in Tyrannosaur, I mean it's he's fucking brilliant. You know, and he just he leaves it yeah. all out there. And this is a guy that's clearly that is clearly grown up around that type of character or, or alcoholics, you know what I mean, and seen this, mm. how they self-destruct. You know, he, he plays another alcoholic in, um, in Ned. Uh, he plays uh, the main character's dad. Obviously, that's his movie as well. He wrote and directed it. You know, it, even though I've never known a character like the character he plays in Ned's, it feels like a really real performance. You know what I mean? You can mm. imagine people like that, even if you haven't, if you've been lucky enough to not interact with someone like that. Um, and then for him to come in, because this this movie is, it's a gentle film, pretty much. You know what I mean? Everything kind of works out well for everybody, pretty much, more or less, by the end of it. Yeah. It all wraps up well, you know what I mean? It's, it goes over its sort of um, narrative hump where things look a wee bit shaky for everybody halfway through and then it all works out well then. And um, you just, you know, when you think of the things he did beforehand, you can never imagine him putting his hand up for a film like Sunshine on Lee. You know what I mean? Ah, sure, I'll do that. How much? Six weeks? Have I got to sing? Yeah, but yeah, but it's okay, Peter. It's an easy song. You've only got to do the first verse. Everybody else joins in. Ah, fuck it. All right. How much does it pay? <laughs> Dexter Fletcher's directing it. Oh, is that the kid off Press Gang? I'm in. <laughs> Now, to talk about Dexter Fletcher, as you mentioned, we probably know him as Spike from Prescott, yeah. or as Babyface from Bugsy, Bugsy Malone. Malone, yeah, or as Soap from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. And even when he popped up in Lockstock, everyone was like, Oi, that's that fucker from Press Gang, it's Spike. <laughs> he hasn't been able to shake that. But he's carved out an amazing career as a director for himself. You know, not just Sunshine and Leith, but it, hey, let's be honest, he had a massive hand in Bohemian Rhapsody. I know Brian Singer is credited as the director and, and Fletcher doesn't get really the credit he deserves, but he did that. And yeah. then, of course, uh, Rocket Man, which I haven't seen, but. I've seen it. Oh, uh, is it any good? Um. Right, so you mentioned uh, Pitch Perfect earlier, right? So Pitch Perfect, I've only seen maybe about the last half of the second or third one, but that's a film where the characters, where they sing to perform or practice, right? They don't just like break into a song yeah. to uh, to sort of progress a narrative. It, yeah, they you know, do at some do point. Or do I they? think earlier on in the film, yes, they do. Right, right. Yeah, Rocket Man is... It's, it's okay. I mean, the guy, what's his name? The guy who plays Elton John from Kingsman. He's just in the Tetris film uh, in Aberdeen. Taron Edgerton. Yeah, he, I, he's a good actor, that guy. I think he's a really good actor. Um, I, I can see him uh, I can see him being like super duper successful when he's older, you know, and, and things. I think he's really good. The Rocket Man's okay, but it's a, it's a balls out musical. So like where you've got Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the story of Freddie Mercury and Queen and with performances um, of them at Wembley or whatever, you know, I don't, obviously the, the boys um, miming, um, but, you know, they don't just like sing a song to describe 
what's going on in Freddy's life, where Rocket Man does it does have all that, you know, it like they'll like shoehorn a song in to kind of uh, state what stage. So like the first bit of the film, they sing Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, and it's a young Elton John playing piano in a pub uh, with Long John Baldry, and a fight breaks out in the pub. And then everybody, uh, everybody, okay. everybody starts singing okay. Saturday nights, you know. So, so yeah, that obvious. Okay, yeah. So uh, you probably won't like it. I wouldn't. I, I would. I would urge you to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I would say I probably hate that kind of musical. And I think part of why I like Sunshine on Leith is because it's Scottish. Yeah, I, that's a big part. The of it. parts that I didn't like and the songs that I don't like are the ones where people randomly just burst into song for no reason. Yeah, and I it just that just makes me cringe. So it sounds to me like I probably should avoid Rocket Man because I don't think I'd like it. Yeah, you definitely will. Um, but yeah, you're right about Dexter Fletcher. I mean, I, he, and he's got some great performances. Like he's great as soap. I remember for years I thought he was American from Press Gang because he plays yeah, American yeah. I, I, I mean I, I knew he wasn't American before I saw before I saw Lockstock he's also good in um, Layer Cake as well well I know why you knew he wasn't American before Lockstock why I can't remember because he presented series 3 of Games Master that's right so he did <laughs> Yeah, and it was the worst received series of Games Master. Everyone hated it. Like I said, he replaced Dominic Diamond. And I remember, you know, it came on and, oh, I welcome a Games Master. And everyone's like, who the fuck are you? And yeah. they got rid of him after one series and got Dominic Diamond back. So, yeah, never mind. He lacked Dominic Diamond's um, sort of dry, sardonic delivery, didn't he? He was a bit too, he's a bit too enthusiastic. Yeah. But anyway, he's done well, Dexter Fletcher, you think... You know, to go from presenting a TV show and, you know, he's probably, I'm sure, I think Rocketman did quite well. Obviously, he is associated with Bohemian Rhapsody, which did incredibly well. Although, you know, I think you're right. I don't think he got the credit he deserved for the film. You know, and this was this has obviously been a bit of a dry run for, I guess, Rocketman, sort of almost, almost 10 years later. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This, the scenes, like, the songs just... The only scene that I like when they just break into song that I enjoyed was the scene in the pub and the song Let's Get Married. I quite like that. That was quite funny. I'd agree. That's probably the only spontaneous song scene that I liked. Yeah. When the sister, Liz, played by Freya Maver, when she is planning, when she's considering... So for you know, for those of you who haven't seen the film, uh, Liz is a nurse. She wants to explore the world outside of Edinburgh, and she has an opportunity to go to Miami um, and be a nurse in Miami. And and my my eyes like painfully rolled when that little plot development came out. So I thought, right, how long would it be until they get letter from America into a scene? <laughs> and and I I thought the rendition of Sunshine and Leith. So it's just really Jane Horrocks for most of the song singing when um, Peter Mullins' character has his heart attack and he's uh, unconscious. You know, considering it's the name of the film, I thought like I thought that that would be the last song. You know what I mean? Of the film because... Yeah, I thought they missed a trick there. I, I didn't like the way they did that. It felt like it had just been kind of shoehorned mm. into the film. And you know, it's quite an emotional part. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't think it, it sat right with the film or the song. 
Yeah, and Jane Horrocks is a good singer. You know, she's done a lot of uh, she's a lot of singing in her career. Like I probably her most famous singing role was in Little Voice, right, with Ewan McGregor and all that. I, I don't think we can discount Jane Horrocks in this film. She's she's brilliant. Her Scottish accent and Scottish singing voice. Okay, it does waver a couple of times, but generally, it's fantastic. Yeah, She's really great in this film. Certainly a lot better than George Mackay, whose accent is all over the place, and multiple times it kind of faults and wavers when he's singing and speaking. The only the only Scottish-sounding thing about George Mackay is his surname. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, a, it's a strange bit of casting, because you've got uh, Kevin Guthrie playing um, Ali, who's who for like the first like two thirds of the film is like the second lead and then mm. he just sort of falls in yeah. a supporting disappears. role yeah it's just strange yeah. and there's a few little plot turns like that that I thought why bother because you don't go down, you, you didn't do anything with it like when when um, Ali turns up at his sister's and his sister has agreed that he can stay with her until he sort he gets his own place after coming out of the army there's a bit of tension between the brother-in-law and Ali. And you think, oh, that's probably going to come up later on in the film. You never see the brother-in-law again. There's Kev- J- uh, Jason Fleming scenes. And why the fuck... I mean, I think Jason Fleming is only in this film because he's obviously mates with Dexter Fletcher. I don't know... Yeah. But what Jason... And I like... Jason Fleming is a fine actor. What the fuck he's doing in this film is anybody's guess. Not a good Scottish accent <laughs> is what he's doing. Mary, Queen of Scots, born 1542, died 1587. Her third husband murdered a second husband. Her cousin tried her for treason, and her son stole a throne. It's true. If she was alive today, she'd be on the Jeremy Kyle show. So you listen to me, Jean Henshaw. Whatever happened, it's not your fault. You have done nothing but work yourself into the ground for your family. You've been let down, messed around. But there's obviously his his character Harry, who works with Jean at the art gallery, is obviously got kind of carrying a bit of a candle for Jean. Again, goes nowhere really. You know? They kind of hint upon it. I, I think the first scene that you kind of see them, you you get the impression yeah. that he is kind of in love with her from afar. And he's almost like wanting her to to break up with Rab. But yeah, it, it's it's only really hinted upon at that time. And then the next time you see him, he's bursting into song, and there's just no need for it. It doesn't really go anywhere. So overall, what did you think about the singing in the film? Then I mean, I, I, with the exception of Peter Mullen, it's not it's not it's not dreadful. The thing about the Proclaimers is, especially if you're Scottish. We, we can all do a pretty good Proclaimers rendition, <laughs> right? Especially after a couple of cans of Two Borg special. Um, <laughs> or, ten, or maybe it should be Tenant Super. But, you know, it's. I'm not saying that. I'm not taking, I'm not taking anything away from the Proclaimers because they're, they're, they're brilliant musicians. Uh, with And, they, and the, the main thing I took out of this film for me was a reminder of what a great back catalogue of songs they've got because I think often people just think of 500 Miles and um, Letter from America maybe I'm on my way but there's a lot of songs on there that you would hear on albums and stuff that maybe didn't make it to the charts that are like, really really good songs so you know I thought the singing was okay I mean the the very fact that there's they just keep breaking into the song in the film is 
probably the thing that I disliked the most about it. So I'm, a, I'm, some, I'm somewhat conflicted. Uh, but I thought they all do. Oh, they all do a pretty good job of singing the songs. I was a bit. I was. I was cringing a bit when Jason Fleming was doing that weird Elvis impersonation, sort of swinging his hands in front of himself and stuff. You know, when they were doing the song in the art gallery. I think it was summed up for me in the second song when they're singing "I'm on my way" and they're marching down the street dancing. Yeah. And there's a guy that just kind of looks at them and shakes his head as if to be like, "What the fuck are you two doing?" Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm with you, buddy. I'm exactly with you. And then the next thing is, of course, Charlie and Craig come out the pub and nearly bump into them. And at that point, I'm thinking, right, Charlie, Craig, have a word. Just say, like, like we're taking over. Let, let's let the professionals deal with <laughs> yeah. this. The whole plot just feels a bit. It's obviously just been kind of molded around these songs. You know, how can we do? How can we do a? Yeah. I mean, it's based on a on a stage musical, and and maybe. Mm. Maybe the stage is where this sort of thing belongs. Maybe you know, you know, it's maybe it's maybe it's a good night out. It's people singing live on stage. So as much as there's a bit of a plot, people probably go to see these things at the at the theatre because it's almost like going to a concert, right? But seeing it on a film where the maybe if they're not singing live or maybe um, well you know whatever or it's maybe dubbed in or whatever, it's not. I don't know that they always translate particularly well. I mean, they had to put Meryl Streep and Pierce Brosnan and Colin Firth and Mamma Mia to make that a fucking viable concern. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be very surprised if that movie had been as successful if it hadn't been for the A-list cast to get in it, you know? And obviously this is a Scottish film, considerably lower budget than a Mamma Mia. So, you know, I, yeah, I, don't, know that, I don't know that any of the actors in the film... Apart from Jane Horrocks, who we've said we've already said is quite an accomplished singer, don't know that any of them have done any singing really before, apart from on the film. I think Antonia Thomas plays a Vaughan. Well, I don't want to spoil anything later with the awards or anything, but as you mentioned earlier, I think the the scene in the pub, "Let's Get Married," is probably the best scene. And for me, it's Bronco the barman that makes that scene. He is fantastic. Yeah. He makes that scene for me. He, for me, is probably one of the best characters in the film. And he's credited as Barman, but yet they mention his name as Bronco in the film. Yeah. So I can't understand why he's just credited as Barman. Now, I want to ask you about him. I agree with everything you've said there. I want to ask you, what do you think the fucking little brown tube around his neck is? It's like a wee telescope or something. <laughs> I did wonder that. I don't know. It was like a... A blood vial or something. Yeah. He's maybe like maybe a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. I don't know. Maybe he's been in these holidays in Piper Dam or something. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> I liked as well, I mean, one thing I liked about that scene, and I don't know how intentional this is, but the actress playing the barmaid. So, if I remember right, she doesn't have any lines, but she's obviously been told that, you know, you don't, you're not going to have any lines in this apart from singing along with the song, but we need you to react to what's going on. And so her reaction at the beginning of the song before she decides to join in and her facial expressions, she's just like, she's really, really trying hard, <laughs> you know what I mean, to show her disapproval and her rolling her eyes and her frustration and it's, oh, here's that fucking barman, that husband of mine singing again, <laughs> you know, supposed to be helping me behind the bar. And then when you get to the anniversary party, 
it's um, it's Roddy Hart that's the the lead singer of the the band, and it, you know Roddy Hart he's a pretty famous Scottish singer. Yeah, I mean the thing there's a where I think it's a wee bit um, it's not been that well handled or not that well kind of crafted that scene is obviously we have the we have the Dear Jean song, we have um, Jean finding the letter from the woman that Rab has cheated on her with years ago. And she rushed. Why would he have that in his pocket? Oh, that's the thing. So she she rushes out. Um, Ali takes the opportunity, unwittingly, not realizing what's going on, to propose to Liz, and <sighs> um, she obviously turns him down. And then this like quite sort of tasty fight breaks out, <laughs> you know, mm. <laughs> because with the guy is less than charitable. Um, or is this a near luck wee man or something like that? <laughs> oh wee man, I hope you get the receipt for that. <laughs> and that's the thing, so and that's that brings me back to George Mackay. So I mean I've seen him in a couple of things. I do think that he's quite a good actor. Not very good at the old Scottish accent, but he is he's he's a good kind of young actor, but he's sort of again, it's just this lack of like plot and character development so you know to go back to the very beginning of the film when they're getting off the train and they're talking about the guy their pal Ronnie that's had his legs blown off and how Davy blames himself and I you know and it sort of starts I sort of think oh you know this is going to be quite an interesting character he's going to be haunted by what's happened uh, when he's been at war he's going to struggle to adjust to life back in Edinburgh back in Civvy Street and then they immediately they break into the song and dance, and Ali and Davy, if you've noticed, they're always like shaking hands and having a hug, and <laughs> do you know what I mean all the time. And then it's not until that fight in the at the uh, anniversary when uh, Davy tries to break things up, somebody hooks him, so he starts throwing punches about, and he almost punches Avon, his his love interest, and she's like, "Oh, I don't even know you." Blah blah blah, and it's like it's like they're trying to touch on this. He's so haunted, you know. It's making him violent, and he he, he can't have his relationship with Avon. It's just, I don't know. I just felt it was all just a bit. They kind of, like, I don't know. Like I say, I think these things just belong on stage, <laughs> not not in films. <laughs> it's yeah. it was just a bit kind of this. The development's just a bit strange. It's like they just decided actually let's not kind of emphasize that too much because. It should be a feel-good, happy film. You're like, well, fine. Then don't have it in at all. Don't have poor Ronnie with his legs shot off. Don't have the character saying, oh, you know, it's it should have been me. Sometimes I wish it had been me that got blown up and not Ronnie. It was my responsibility, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, it's, that's that whole little subplot's not going anywhere at all. But by the time you get to the end of the film, just leave it out. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit of a, a bit part that they never really mm. delve into properly. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's where the film sort of is, is sort of struggles a bit and is at its worst. But you know, I think I think what saves the movie, as I said before, is the the actors are all clearly enjoying themselves and especially in the musical, no matter what we might think personally about the musical performances, they're all they're obviously enjoying it. And I think that is a bit infectious. And you know, they just the music of the proclaimers. You know what I mean? Well, to talk about the Proclaimers, what are your favourite Proclaimers memories? 
Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, when they started to get played on top of the pops, I would have probably have been about ten or eleven. And I was think, that when they had Jonathan King on their base, <laughs> possibly. I didn't know, like you know, I mean, I, I was at, at this point, I was at um, primary school in England. You know, I mean, there were like songs like there from America. And I'm going to be 500 miles. I don't know if they ever got to number one. I should have probably looked into that before doing this podcast. No, they didn't. But no. I know that no. I know that they were high in the top ten. They certainly got a lot of airplay. And obviously, this was the days of the Sunday night top forty with Bruno Brooks. And you know, no matter what anybody listening to this, how they might feel personally about the Proclaimers, and there's probably people that just don't like them at all. You have to admit that these are some of the catchiest songs. So everybody was singing them. And I, I, I used to get a wee bit of uh, sort of gentle ribbing and proclaimer songs kind of sung at me, and you no, know, not in a kind of bullyish way. So, but I've seen the proclaimers live. I saw them not that long ago, actually. Like when I worked in Glasgow, we used to support the Children's Hospice Appeal in Scotland. I may have mentioned this in the podcast before, but we used to have a sort of spring fundraising black tie event at the Hilton on Charing Cross. And because we did it in conjunction with Real Radio, they were quite good at getting um, like kind of decent acts to to kind of do a turn. Like where they had Amy McDonald there one year, uh, Les McCowan's Bay City Rollers. I think I um, I think I shot the performance of Shangalang and sent it to you. We had ABC, oh, yeah. <laughs> we had ABC, but one year we had the Proclaimers, and it, it was just the brothers. So uh, they didn't have a backing band. It was just the brothers, an acoustic guitar, and they were really, really good. But I felt a bit sorry for them because they started off with "I'm on my way," and as you can imagine, a room full of about three hundred people that had been drinking quite heavily for a few hours, very excited, lots of singing and whooping. Then they went on to something like, I can't remember, so I was hammered, like there from America or something like that. And again, as you would expect, very well received. And then they said the thing that probably kills some of these journeyman bands when they're playing live. They said, we're going to play a song off for a new album. <laughs> oh, God. And there was a bit of an audible, the, the, the air sort of, went out the room a wee bit. But everybody listened politely and clapped and then they, they only did like half an hour or something. Then they, they, they finished on a high with, um, I think they finished with I'm going to be 500 miles. But they were really good, to be fair. Like, they were really good. Um, I know a few people that have seen them in quite recent times, like with a full band and apparently they're, they're spectacular to go and see. I would like to go and see them live again. What about you? Oh yeah, I think they're great performers and they've got a great back catalogue. In terms of this film, there are quite a few songs that as soon as they start, you're like, oh, no, mm. no, I, I just don't. Just just leave it, please. And it's not going to spoil the song for me in the long grand scheme of things, but I just don't want to hear it like this. And I think when we do the Swally Awards later, we probably should do best song and worst song as well. We'll do it now. You have to just, which, what would your worst song be? Without a doubt. And it's nothing to do with the song. I like the song. But it is the the scene. Um, it's the uh, I met you, and it's the George Mackay and Antonia Thomas when they are. Is, is it Jenner's? Uh, oh no, Harvey Nicks, mm-hmm. I think. And it's you could say the setting is nice. It has the beautiful backdrop of Edinburgh behind it with the glass windows. I've been in that restaurant, but no, I I just hated that performance and that song. It just seems so false for me. I'm sorry to say that it is the last song of the film with the flash mob 
in Prince's Gardens, the rendition of I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles. The, the only bit I liked was when some Scottish girl says to Antonia Lewis or Yvonne, get up here then, <laughs> gets her up on the stage. Yeah, just when they all start dancing and stuff like that, I was just like, oh, I could have lived without this. I could have done without this. That would know? probably be my second choice. I, I really enjoyed that until the flash mob turned up. And as soon as they turned up and started doing the flash kind of robotic dancing, I'm like, ah, oh, no, no. Oh, thank God. This is the last song of this film. It just took me right out of it. Let me ask you something, kind of moving on to something slightly different. So I don't think in the film, so they, the, 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 the film starts up with Ali and Davey. I guess they're supposed to be in the Middle East, right? Probably, let's, let's say Afghanistan or Iraq. Later on in the film, so when when Ali has been turned down by Liz, he ends up going back to the army. And there's a scene of him right near the end, singing his part of I'm going to be 500 miles, walking across what's supposed to be, again, let's say the Afghan desert with his rifle. It's clearly the fucking Trossachs. <laughs> you know, clearly and like to be fair to Dexter he's done his best to try and he, he, he shoots it quite low to try and so you just really see the sky for the most part but I know what a rolling Scottish hill looks like even when I, <laughs> even when I only see a wee bit of one yeah I was just thinking well, where are they supposed to be because like they don't they, they don't say they, they refer to it as, uh, as over there and that kind of thing. You know, we, when we were over there, blah, blah, blah. They never say when we were in Afghanistan or when we were in Basra or whatever. I'm just like, where the fuck are those boys supposed to be? I never actually thought about that, but that's a very good point. Um, I don't know. I guess he's just gone back to the bad place. The bad place. The bad, shooty, blowy-uppy place. Yeah. You're overthinking it. You don't need to think about too much. He's gone back to a place that's bad. There's another scene where George and Yvonne, you know, it's kind of early-ish in the relationship and they decide they're going to go home together. Um, I'm saying George and Yvonne, Davy and Yvonne, um, they're going to go home together and they hail a taxi. Now, they must, they get into what must be the friendliest taxi in the whole of Scotland because, <laughs> like you, I'm sure, I've taken a lot of taxis in Scotland when I was younger, you know, we get a taxi home after a night out or whatever. I've never got into a taxi being greeted with, so, where will it be? <laughs> you know? Morning side, please, mate. Morning side it is. Have you had a nice night, folks? Oh, I've had a lovely night, thank you. It's about to get a whole lot better. Especially in Edinburgh when they realise you're not a fucking tourist. <laughs> you know? I mean, in, in my experience, uh, apologies if you're a taxi driver listening to this, but in my experience, taxi drivers are generally quite belligerent. You know, they're, they're either over-friendly, where they just talk and talk and talk at you until you get out of the taxi, or they just sort of convey a simmering hatred towards you <laughs> until they drop you off. Especially on a night, especially if you're on your way home after a night out, they probably expecting you to throw up in the back seat of their cab. What did you think of Antonia Thomas? I I had seen her before in um, I don't know if you ever watched Misfits on Channel Four. In the first uh, two series is about like some kids on community service that end up with superpowers. No, I've never watched Misfits. Misfits. 
it's one of those shows that I've always meant to watch but never got round to. But I, 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 this was the first time I think I'd really seen her. She was okay. She was yeah. good. She was a little bit wooden at times. Didn't have me like completely believing, but she was no. all right. Uh, for me, she wasn't a patch on Freya Maver. Yeah, she's she good. for me she's really stole good. the show. I thought she was brilliant. I, mm-hmm. I really was engaged any time that she apparently, was on Apparently, screen. she used to play a character in Skins called Minnie McGuinness in one of the later episodes of Skins. Yeah, I didn't watch Skins that late, so I, I think I missed her in it. But yeah, I, I thought she was great. I, I loved her accent. I liked her singing voice. I liked her acting. I she was she was really good. Apart from Peter Mullen, she kind of and the barman. He, they kind of yeah, uh, she's, she stole the show for me really yeah no she's she was good I'd never seen her on anything before um, before I saw this because like as I say I, I never watched I'm like you I didn't watch the the later series of Skins I think I just watched I just watched the first one actually with Nicholas Holt the other thing that surprised me to see because this is an actress who at one point seemed to be in a lot of different things is Daniela Nardini who pops up as yeah. as the chef in the at the book signing, which again is just a really weird scene. Peter Mullins trying to think of what to make for uh, Jean to say sorry for cheating on her twenty five years ago and having a grown up daughter that he just found out about like a few days ago. And the you thought why why get Daniela Nardini to do that? Why not just get an extra? She literally got like two lines. <laughs> You forgot your book. Are you kidding me? 17 quid? I can fly to Italy for 17 quid. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was a bit random. Why not get some other strange extra? But it, yeah. hey, it was a nice little cameo. Maybe she's a fan of the Proclaimers and she was like, look, go and get me into that film. Just get me for a wee scene or something, you know? Yeah, maybe. So. But um, I think before we uh, before we put... Sunshine and Leith through the meat grinder of our reviews, uh, of our awards rather, I thought I would just mention the reviews. So as you mentioned, somewhat surprisingly, Mark Kermode fucking loves this film. Loves it. Um, He wrote a four-star review in The Observer. To quote Mark, he said, I shed a tear within the first 10 minutes I mean, I, I did as well, but I suspect for different reasons. Spent the rest of the movie beaming like a gibbering, love-struck fool. Yeah, Mark Amode's a big fan of the film. It grossed $8.8 million uh, into, in its run, to September 2014. Uh, On its first week, it, it debuted at number three in the UK box office with £770,000. Following week, it rose to number two with a weekly take of 733,000. I wasn't really going to the cinema that much in 2013 because my daughters were quite young. So, you know, if I went to the cinema, it was to go to a Disney film. Um, So I'm not sure that I would have rushed out to see this anyway. But, you know, I mean, despite the fact that we're clearly, we've got mixed feelings about the film, I I I like the fact that it's been... A successful film. It's got a ninety percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so you know, it's always good to see a a Scottish film do well, and especially you know, it's a film based on the music of a very successful and famous Scottish band. It's got you know, it does have some confusing casting in there, but you know, apart from George Mackay's dodgy accent and 
Jane Horrocks occasionally dodgy Scottish accent and Jason Fleming's dodgy Scottish accent. Um, they're all good in their roles, pretty much, you know. So, fair play. <laughs> fair play to Sunshine and Leith for its 90% um, Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't ask my wife to watch it because there's no way that there's no way that she'd have watched this, Paula. So shall we shall we put the movie through our through our awards? Yes, let's put it through the Swally Awards. You you said you didn't want to do your favourite scene, but favourite song. So what was your favourite song performance on the film? I think I'd have to go with "Let's Get Married in the Pub." The whole yeah. atmosphere, and I know again it's kind of spontaneous in the song, but. The fact that they're there and, you know, Bronco the barman, it's just a fun scene. I like that. Yeah, that's that's definitely my favourite. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed that. Uh, I liked, uh, you know, I mean, like I said before, the song Sunshine and Leith, I, I, I really like. I know it's become a bit of a, a Hibs um, anthem, which I'm sure makes it kind of problematic <laughs> for a, a diehard Dons fan like yourself, but... Um, you know, I, I have no such affiliations on either side, uh, so I, I do like the song. I'm not sure that it was used in the best in the best context. Who did you have for the James Cosmo Award for being in Everything Scottish? Peter Mullen. It, it has to be. You know, it, is there anyone else? There's no other choice. It's Peter Mullen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's not. I mean, Kevin Guthrie's got one of those faces where... It feels like he's been in loads and loads of things, but when I looked at his um, his IMDb, like really, it's only been the last few years that he's been in he's been in a lot more things. Like he's in the the sort of Harry Potter prequel films, he's got a part in them, and he's in um, a, I think a drama that was on Netflix about the early days of uh, football um, in England called uh, the Perfect Game, I think, or the Beautiful Game, or something. It's called. But, but he he looks like somebody that's in hundreds uh, of things. You know what I mean? Well, he's the original son in Two Doors Down with Danielle and Ardini, yeah, the, the pilot. pilot. So he is the uh, yeah the original son that kind of comes home. The Taggart tally. So not a lot out of this one. Um, the only the only I only did the main cast, but the only um, actor with any Taggart credits is Peter Mullen who's done two Taggarts. Strangely enough, his character was called Peter in both series. Uh, uh, Peter Latimer was one. I forget what the other second name was, but it was definitely Peter. So only two. Yet the rest of the cast haven't appeared in Taggart. Probably not surprising when you consider that three of the main cast are English actors and actresses. So yeah, Taggart tally, pretty low this week. Um, what was your archetypal Scottish moment? For me, it has to be Peter Mullen complaining about a book costing £17 and then going and spending £18 on veal. That's That, for me, was my, my moment. Yeah, I had that one. I also had the, after, the aftermath of the aborted wedding proposal and just the complete lack of sympathy for, for <laughs> Ali. <laughs> You know, with any luck, we man, and I oh, hope you kept to the seat. You know, I mean, that's you know, it's it's maybe a, maybe a bit of gallows humour, but you know, for those of us that that come from Scotland, we know that sympathy is a, is a rare currency <laughs> in certain situations in Scotland. I thought that was a good example. Okay, what was your the Sean Connery Award uh, or other 
otherwise affectionately known as Who Got to Go Home and Fuck the Prong Queen. Who did you give that one to? Well, who did you give that to? I gave it to the city of Edinburgh because I think I think the city of Edinburgh comes out of Sunshine Underneath really well. Like what we were saying before, it just looks amazing. You know, it looks great in film. Dexter Fletcher shoots it really well. Um, I gave it to Edinburgh. Who did you have? Uh, I genuinely gave it to the city of Edinburgh. <laughs> did <as> you? Well. <laughs> I, I put down, if I was giving it to an actor, then Peter Mullen. But if I can give it to anything, then it has to be Edinburgh. It just looks so beautiful and so awesome in this film. <laughs> I'm not sure what time of the year they filmed it. I, I imagine sort of spring, summertime. They, they look like they got great weather for it, you know. Um, nice blue skies and everything. Just looks great. So, yeah. So, I guess that wraps it up for um, Sunshine and Leith. I've not missed out an award, have I? I guess I'm trying to think of other... Scottish musicals. The only one that leaps to mind is Brigadoon. I don't think we need to do that for quite a long time. So yeah, I think you know, like I said before, I, I despite myself, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed watching it. Um, I'm with you. I think part of part of its appeal was the songs of the Proclaimers, the fact that it's set in Scotland. It's got a great cast, even if some of them are a bit unusually placed in there, like Jason Fleming. Um, but I, th- I don't think I'll be choosing a musical again for quite a long time. But it's your choice next time. So what are we going to be talking about on the next episode of The Culture Swally? Well, Greg, next time I have chosen another musical. <laughs> no, I haven't. Of course not. Uh, but you did pick a musical, which was something we hadn't done before. So I decided to pick something, another genre that we hadn't done before on The Swally. So we're going to do a little bit of sci-fi. Wow, we've not done any sci-fi yet, have we? Yes, it's sci-fi on The Swally. So uh, next time I would like to look at the 2013 film Under the Skin. Starring Scarlett Johansson. Nice. I've never seen it. Oh, really? Well, there you go. You're going to get a chance to watch it next time on The Swally. Brilliant. I look forward to watching that. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you would like to get in touch with us, if you have any news stories that you'd like to send us, if you'd have anything you would like us to review, then please drop us an email on cultureswally at gmail.com. Dot com. Or you can follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod and on Twitter at Swally Pod. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Pass on the good knowledge of the Swally. OK, well, until next time. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. See you later. Bye.